0: Yeah, I think, uh, I think that was one of the most important things that I was taught at an early age was that it's okay to dream that big and like to have people in your corner that are gonna like empower you through those dreams. So surrounding yourself with those people that are gonna empower you to push for those dreams means everything. I always say it, take, it only takes two people to accomplish something amazing, uh, which it sounds like he wants to do something amazing within this sport. Um, And those two people are yourself and one other person that truly believes in you and is going to foster that growth and is going to foster that belief. So if you can believe in yourself and believe in that one other person, you can accomplish something special.
1: Welcome back to yet another episode of the Run Culture podcast. I'm pretty wrapped to have an awesome episode for you guys today. Earlier in the week, I chatted to Sam Parsons. Sam Parsons is a professional Adidas runner. He lives in Boulder, Colorado, and runs for a professional running team called the Tin Man Elite. This is a pretty popular team, it's a pretty cool team, and they've got a world uh, following now, and I talk about how that's grown with Sam and how important it is for him to push the sport forward, and to make the sport bigger and better than when he started. We also talk about the business side of sport, where he is currently at and what his goals are for 2021. I hope you enjoy this chat, there's a lot in it and Sam is really good at explaining things and um, I left the chat very excited and pumped up. So I hope it does the same thing with you guys. So yeah, dig into it and enjoy. Live, learn, grow, and enjoy everything there is to running together. I hope you enjoy the show.
0: Hey, mate. Uh, Straight off the massage table. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, man. Yeah, got to get... Had to get that treatment in, you know? Yeah.
1: Full day. (laughs) Well, thanks for um, agreeing to um, do this. Um, It's really great for, um, yeah, so many... Um, of the young runners down this way and um, they all a lot of them look up to you guys like it's incredible
0: what you've done. Uh, Thank you so much I appreciate that you know like this was built this was built with the 14 year old me at heart you know that like didn't have someone to look up to and didn't uh, add such a lack of connection with people at this level right now yeah and like that's you know Bridging that gap was such a huge part of starting to mentally in the first place. So to hear that, yeah, definitely warms my heart. So I appreciate those words.
1: Yeah. Um, I actually asked a few of the young boys that I coach um, down this way um, for some questions. And they wrote, wrote some questions up. Um, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. One of the boys, um, he's a 1527 5K runner. He's 23 years old. And he said he's got big dreams of, you know, being the best he can and um, Mm -hmm. even, you know, running professionally in the sport. um, He asked, and I know it's hard because you don't know him, but um, like, what advice would you have uh, to someone like that um, when they're dreaming so big and, but then they still feel like they've got so far to go?
0: Yeah, I think, uh, I think that was one of the most important things that I was taught at an early age was that it's okay to dream that big and like to have people in your corner that are gonna like empower you through those dreams. So surrounding yourself with those people that are gonna empower you to push for those dreams means everything. I always say it, take, it only takes two people to accomplish something amazing, uh, which it sounds like he wants to do something amazing within this sport. Um, And those two people are yourself and one other person that truly believes in you and is gonna foster that growth and is gonna foster that belief. So if you can believe in yourself and believe in that one other person, you can accomplish something special. So that would be my two cents in terms of to not dive into all the nitty gritty stuff as far as training and doing the smart things and being able to, I don't like calling running or professional running a sacrifice uh, because I think it's something that, I think it's quite a gift in order to move our bodies the way we can when people, you know, are stuck in wheelchairs and, you know, like are not able to move their bodies in such a way. So uh, I don't want to call it a sacrifice, but sacrificing maybe that party here and there in order to get that ten hours of sleep and doing those things day in and day out and like fostering that belief day in and day out is really the key. I feel like that's something that I always had was like I never thought when I was 14, 15, 20, 20 22, even, um, that I would ever get to the point where I am now. But that never stopped me from taking the next step to get to that, like, next benchmark, you know? So it's continuing to hit those benchmarks time after time again, whether that's sub 15 for your boy, you know? Yeah. Or it's, you know, like, that winning that race, you know, beating that person you never thought you could beat because you just put in a whole summer of training under your belt and now you're a new runner um, is constantly putting yourself in new conversations and that's like the biggest thing is you need to put yourself in the conversation Um, being on the starting line at fifth out for me for the first time when i had just broken four minutes the weekend before and meanwhile i'm standing next to the olympic champ in the 1500 it's like i put myself in that conversation even though i had no business being in that conversation another way to say it is having a seat at the table So it's finding a way to get a seat at the table through performing uh, and getting those and maximizing the opportunities when given to you. So keep getting those seats at that table. And next thing you know, your table is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller.
1: Yeah, that's, that's unreal advice. Um, Like I've listened to a few podcasts with you talk, Sam, and um, sounds like you almost quit the sport after college and you went traveling to Europe and, Um, and then soon after that, um, yeah, you moved to Boulder and, and started, um, Tin Man. Um, talk us through that stage in your life and, um, uh, yeah, how I suppose Tin Man formed and your relationship with Drew, um, and, Mm -hmm. and how close were you to sort of, yeah, stopping and, um, giving up on the sport?
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that like the sport will knock you down, down 10 times before it picks you up once. And I felt like that is kind of the place where a lot of runners find themselves, where it's like, well, that 10 times getting knocked down isn't worth the one to keep pursuing it. Uh, and I felt like more than anything else, that's where I was at, where I like, wasn't willing to pick myself up 10 more times because I knew if I were, was gonna continue to pursue it, I was gonna get knocked down and I was gonna keep getting knocked down. And there was gonna be a lot more knocking down day in and day out than there was like, great days. I had this like quote that my high school coach hung up uh, after I said at practice one day when I was like really pissed off and I was like trying to compartmentalize uh, what just happened and just another shitty workout. I was just like, "Look, coach, like I know that I run 365 days out of the year. I'm bound to feel like shit for at least half of them." Uh, so it was basically like not wanting to come to that realization that like how hard this sport is. So I felt like. Coming off of college, I always felt, and this really ties into how to Elite started, actually, now that I'm saying it out loud, was I had this mindset that professional running was such an egotistical, self driven, self appreciating, self patting on the back, however you want to call it, endeavor. And I felt that the, most of the athletes, not to call anyone out by name, are doing it to be fueled, fuel their own egos to say, I'm the best, I'm better than this person and not for the community, not for the people, not for the bigger picture. It's to wear the pretty Nike kit. It's to wear the pretty Adidas kit, you know, and it's not for what I think is at the heart of this sport. And it's the community that's built with inside of it. And it's for that community. So I never felt I never would be able to run professionally for just a brand um, that was paying me to do it. There had to be a bigger purpose there. And that's how Tim Elite came about. It was this perfect storm with myself, Drew, and Reed, um, who were the founding fathers, if you will, where we all realized after sitting down and talking time and time again that running fast was not enough. Running this idea that just doing this for ourselves and these fast times that look great on paper, but no one at the end of the day is going to give a shit about it, except our own egos at the end of the day uh is going to care and what really is going to fuel us to our best is what we're doing for the sport so it was based off of those things that i found which brought me back into the sport but i guess to backtrack from there uh i really needed time away from the sport in order to figure out how much i wanted it again and i think that is so important for people to go through and i think that people are constantly just training through training through pushing through where You know what maybe the best thing is to take a month away from the sport and figure out if you can find happiness outside of the sport and if you can great that's amazing running's not for everyone like that's not something i'm trying to preach here but what i will preach is listen to your heart if it is telling you to come back and that's exactly what happened to me
1: i think you alluded to a quote from your mom um like there was a quote that your mom said i think um awesome advice um Yeah. Like what makes you excited or or what are you fearful of missing out? Um,
0: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I appreciate appreciate you bringing that up because I do live by that very much. And that was a huge thing for me to be able to take that trip in the first place because I was more, yeah, I was more fearful of missing the opportunity than I was taking it at the time. Um, And that's something that like I really leaned into is really taking the stuff out of the sport. So I did, and I took a step out of the sport and I leaned into the things that I loved outside of the sport. And that was traveling, that was uh, adventuring, that was like pushing my limits, not through physical performance, but if I could get to the top of this mountain in the Alps by myself, you know, these like very stupid things that I would do um, to like get out of my comfort zone. And there was a lot of very scary uh, moments in that trip where, yeah, I probably shouldn't be here right now. Um, And I've never told a lot of those stories to like the public before. Uh, But there was one experience that I had not through, and this is kind of a part of the story that I usually leave out um, because it's not a glamorous one, is that, yeah, I was partying in Barcelona and uh, I basically was left with who I thought were my friends who I'd met in my hostel that night. They basically like, left me on the streets of like a very dangerous place in Las Ramblas and I was had too much to drink that night. I was very lost and didn't know where I was and I ended up uh, passing out on the street and sleeping there on the street. And I remember like waking up the next morning and realizing like kind of the, what the fuck are you doing moment for lack of um, a proper word there. Uh, And I just like, was like, this is BS what I'm doing, you know? there's no good that's coming out of this. There's no actual happiness or fulfillment coming from the partying that I was doing. And I booked a train back to Germany, back to my family. And I remember the first thing when I got back, it was like the middle of the night and my family was like, so happy to see me because they hadn't heard from me and didn't know where I was for uh, a few weeks, a few weeks. um, I would say two or three weeks they hadn't heard from me, which was a big, big no, no on my part, bad thing to do. Uh, And then, first thing I did when I walked in the door, I was like very still, very shooken up from the experience to waking up, uh, on the street that I like realized how dangerous it was. Uh, like it's one of the highest places to get like mugged in all of Europe. Yo. Uh, Yo. and I just wanted to go run. I remember I just had this amazing feeling of like, I need to get out there and I had left a pair of sh- running shoes that, was at my uncle's house and I just put him on and I ran out um, in Dietz, Germany out on the streets in the middle of the night and I remember like I was so emotional from the experience still and just being blasting the Beatles in my (laughs) headphones the whole train ride back direct from Barcelona back to Frankfurt and I just like basically just ran as hard as I could for as long as I could. I don't, I I didn't have a watch. I didn't bring a watch with me to Europe Uh, and I just I I still to this day don't know how far I got or how long I ran or how fast I was running. You know, maybe it was the best run of my life. I don't know. But everyone likes to talk about this runner's high stuff. And I think I found as close to what I could have ever found in that that night where there was, because I had run for three months up until this point. Like not, you know, I like casually ran when I felt like I needed to on a hike or something, but never blatantly a run. So I went on that run, and I remember in the middle of it, after my heart felt like it was going to explode, uh, I just laid down in the middle of the street. Uh, and this was in the middle, dead, dead middle of the night, like 1 or 2 p.m. And, uh, and I just, like, was smiling year to year, <laughs> Like, it was such a drug, man. Like, it was the best experience I probably had that whole summer was that run I went on alone in the middle of the night just sprinting my heart out and i realized how much happiness and fulfillment i got from that run and that spurred me then going to belgium because i caught wind of this race in houston belgium and when i was there i had known drew previously because i had worked at adidas when he signed with adidas so i had known him kind of offhandedly and i hit him up and i was like yo man like i'm in belgium like i hear you're racing tomorrow like let's get dinner uh and there was nothing involved with it, not like, hey, I'm going to train with you and build him and a lead and all that with intention. It was really just to like see someone I knew after a long time period being by myself, outside of family, and just ran into people in hostels <laughs> and <laughs> people that would wake me up in my tent at night <laughs> uh, and tell me I can't sleep here. But that was, uh, that dinner Drew t- talked to me about how he wanted to move to Boulder and how it's a special place. And I had trained there previously one summer and that summer that I spent in Boulder, it turned me into a professional or it tur- turned me into a college runner. That summer, those three months that I dedicated all in in Boulder, turned me into a college runner. Uh, like my freshman year, I was a high school runner running in college, like most freshmen do. That summer made me so strong. And I just thought in my head, I was like, it just clicked when he said it. I was like, Maybe it can do it again. Maybe Boulder can turn me into a college runner who's trying to run professionally. It can make me a professional runner. And it did, obviously, with the help of Coach Schwartz and Drew and uh, me putting away the partying and putting away all the shenanigans. Yeah, and that was it. And with that common dream of wanting to do more for the sport than just run fast and uh, common love for the community within the running world, Tim Manelit was born and... Here we are today nice yeah that's a cool story i I love that
1: vision where um it looks like you you it's more than just running fast it's a it's about um i don't know pushing the sport forward and being the best version of yourself um it's about human growth and um i don't know fostering good relationships and teaching others along the way (laughs) um do you think it's almost that that bigger than running message that's also spurred on the success of, of Tin Man?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think people realize how authentic and grassroots it is. It's not something that was built by a brand that was like, Hey, let's build this team and market it this way. This was built with the pure intent of wanting to do because this plain and simple, the sport of running deserves better. And there wasn't anything out there, in my opinion, that was giving it what it deserved and giving people uh, access to the athletes, giving people the access to what it's like to be in a call room before a race, which we try to showcase in our YouTube videos, you know, is giving people access to uh, tools and the different things we do in order to be there, the best version of ourselves, to show people that it is the heart of our like team camaraderie is the root of our success and I think people with those values and the hard work that we put in day in and day out I think people gravitate towards that type of authenticity where you might see one of any of these Nike teams or anything where it's it's amazing what they're doing that they're going out there and trying to win medals and everything and not that we're not trying to win medals but that's not number one for us number one for them is that medal you know Uh, which is amazing because that inspires people the same way. It's just different, you know, and I don't want to get that mixed up here, but that's something I couldn't connect with. And I think a lot of people can't connect with that either. That being one of the top three best runners ever in that year, you know, like that's a very hard thing to understand, but all of a sudden, if we're willing to be vulnerable enough, to share our injury experiences, share the, the shitty parts of the sport with people. That's what people are going to respect, I think, more at the end of the day than they will any medal that will win. Uh, they'll be excited about it, but them knowing that I have been dealing with an Achilles this whole year, but I didn't give up, is something they're going to be able to latch on to much more than that I ran a workout and there was eight 200s at 26. You know what I mean? Like, who cares? Do you, yep. But you care about the resilience I had getting to that point. Yeah, That's relatable. How are you going with your Achilles now? It's good. It's good, man. Like, it's, it's definitely been quite the ride. It's such a finicky part of the sport that I think every runner uh, has either gotten an Achilles surgery or gone through an Achilles uh, protocol if you've done it for long enough and pushed your body to the point. I remember I got some advice in college that maybe it was bad advice, but it's something that has helped me through some injuries yeah. was uh, if you don't feel something when you're training, you're probably not training hard enough. And that is something that's definitely like a hockey mentality, you yep. know, like play through the broken nose, you know, type of mentality. But it's, but it's true to some degree. It's like, I've rarely been in a workout and I've just not felt anything, whether it's like my hamstring tightening up or something feeling like, Oh shit. You know, but that's because I want to be one of the best runners that I've gone through the sport and I'm not going to get there without pushing to the limit. And I've really been able to take a step back and really take my time with this process. The first time uh, I didn't, because I thought that I had to be ready for the Olympics and because of that quick turnaround uh, ended up like blowing it up a second time. But right now I'm working out again with the team and I'm super excited about that build and, just building into like a newfound aerobic base. I feel smoother than I've ever ran before because I've spent hours and hours in the weight room rebuilding and working on those weaknesses. So I'm really excited to see, see the new Parsonian 2021. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, mm-hmm. Like, what, what are,
1: like, so obviously the goals are Olympics um, and, and to compete for Germany
0: next year. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, like that's short term goals for sure is Olympics, you know, and being able to use that sort of platform when I am at the Olympics and during that pursuit in order to preach messages of mindfulness and teaching young people how to deal with anxiety and deal with their inner struggles, not only in running, but in life. So the faster I can run and the more people will end up listening to me and the more people that will invite me on a podcast, uh, the better (laughs) so I can preach those messages and teach any type of virtues that I can that will spread positivity and growth within people in the sport. So that's for sure on the, the on paper goals for lack of a better term there. But uh, I was actually talking about today, the guy who I just was seeing for some physio work, his name yeah. is Mark Klatches. He was a world champion in the marathon uh, for South Africa. You know, you know, you know, yeah. You yeah. Know, you recognize that name? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's a boss. And uh, <laughs> we talk about, marathoning all the time and he's he will definitely be a huge marathon consultant for me one day because that's the long-term goal is i've spent too many i've watched too many marathons i've been at the finish line of the boston marathon too many times to not realize that that's that's the pinnacle of our sport is to run a beautiful 26.2 running sub four you know running thirteen ten, all those things along the way are cool and i want to do all those things but At the the end of the day, I want to look back at my career and say, I ran a beautiful 26.2 at a major. So that's kind of all of these things along the way are like great milestones. Kind of what we talked about at the beginning of this was you got to have those things to put yourself on that table. Like I know I have to run sub 28 before I run 60 flat and a half before I want to run 206 or whatever, you know, and like break that German national record the marathon so there's definitely some big goals out there that people don't know or think about me just because I am running 1500s right now but I want to be a really versatile runner and I think that I just want to be a really good runner I don't want people to be like man he was a great mile you know like if people look back at Sam like I hope the first thing they say is they that he made an impact on the sport and like changed a lot of things like I think that every single professional running group whether they're doing, starting to do it now or realize it now or the ones that are forming now are going to invest a lot more money into their marketing in order to do more and showcase more for the up-and-coming generation. And that generation, you're already seeing it happen with all these Instagram accounts that pop up seemingly every single day of these kids running them and posting news about running. They're figuring it out. They're having news outlets. That's, it's, it's amazing. I love to see the does of the world Pop up and showcase running and talk about running more. As you look at the big sports in the world, there's constantly people on YouTube talking about them and analyzing how this next game is going to go and how this is going to happen. Like the sport of running needs more people like you, also, that are like doing things for it, um, no matter what the scale is, uh, in order for it to get what it deserves the notoriety and the ad attention and the sponsors behind it. So and then the second one would definitely be that, like, yeah, he had a full full career from the mile to the marathon. Those are the two things.
1: See, so obviously are um, obviously planning to hang around running for a while.
0: <laughs> we'll see, man. I say that, you know, I say that, uh, but I definitely have a lot of ambition in life, definitely outside of just putting one foot in front of the other also. So, uh, we'll see whenever a woman comes into my life and, you know, obviously things like that take its course, but definitely right now i'm locked in i've
1: um heard you talk about mindset a little bit and it's really nice to hear because a lot of runners really focus on the training and the and the sessions that they do um but then um i think it's underrated and and a lot of it, it probably doesn't get talked about enough the the importance of um mindset and um yeah what what emphasis do you place on mindset sam and um, with your training and, and with the Tin Man guys?
0: Not enough. Um, there's never enough mindset. Uh, even with my meditation practice I do every single day, even with like the sports psychs that I see, there can never be enough practice in that realm. Uh, I think that if you want to consider yourself a runner who really wants to make it to become the best version of themselves and you don't spend time in thought and reflection and visualization with your workouts with your races um you can't say you're all in. you can't say you're a professional runner even i'll go to that extent you know you can't say that you want to be a captain you can't say that you want to be all state and these are brutal things to say but i believe it is like you can't say that you want to be um i don't know what is the term in australia like uh like making a varsity team or something you know like (laughs) Like, you can't say those things, those dreams, if you're not willing to visualize that race before it happens. If you're not willing to sit down in your room, in your hotel room, or at home, or wherever you are, in the car, in the van, ride over, and close your eyes and imagine exactly how you want to look from 1K to 2K to 3K to 4K to 5K. You know, how are you going to outkick that person? You know the people in your race. You see the start list, you know. You know how you're going to feel at 3K. You know that hill's coming. You know that's going to suck. Are you willing to spend time with that up here before you do it? Because up here is what's going to actually get you up that hill. For sure, you're training and everything physically. But at the end of the day, if I get to that hill and I've lived it in my head 10 times and I know that I'm going to gradually go up it, I'm going to pass this person, I'm going to pass this person, and I'm really going to start pumping my arms that last little bit to crest over it and really make separation that's how that is you dedicating yourself to the sport and it's something that is so incredibly neglected um where you look at other people within other sports Lewis Hamilton you know he is spending hours he used to get dedicating full days probably to just visualizing that racetrack so he knows exactly what gear around what turn and how we need to execute that to be the best in the world, which he is. Kobe Bryant, I talk like Kobe Bryant, same thing, the master of the mind, you know? He he was the king, the mamba mentality. People always talk about mamba mentality, and they just immediately just say, I need to wake up at 4.30 and run 10 miles and shoot 100 shots, you know? The mamba mentality is knowing exactly how you're going to make that shot in your head before you take that shot, Is you believe it. 100% because you put the work in not only physically, but also in your head. If you don't think Kobe Bryant didn't live a game seven winner, almost every single time he shot it, he would have never made that shot the same way when you run two hundreds, the same way when you're in the middle of the tempo run and you start to hurt. If you can't in that moment visualize, Hey, this is going to happen to me in a race. Am I going to smile and drop my cadence and start pumping my arms and be the best version of myself or not because you didn't spend the time in your head. And instead you broke down, you got dropped, they surged because you didn't believe you could kick because you didn't spend time with your own head because you had negative self-talk and you said, Oh, I can't kick. I'm not a kicker. I'm just a strength guy. Like whatever bullshit you want to tell yourself to count yourself out. That is the type of stuff that is so neglected. And that's kind of definitely if anyone's trying to take the next step in the sport, Forget about the foam rollers, forget about the bands, forget about the strength training, forget about any of these other things that you want to buy to get the next great thing to be great. How about you spend 10 minutes a day thinking about how you're going to execute that race in a month? I guarantee you it'll be a greater experience if you've already lived it a hundred times instead of going to that race blind and all of a sudden at 2K you feel like shit and you don't know how to tell yourself I'm going to be okay because you didn't allow yourself to spend time in your own head beforehand. So any young runner listening right now, if you take one thing from this podcast, please take that right there.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, it sounds like you and Drew have influenced each other a lot in this way. Um, like when you started training with Drew, um, sounds like, um, Drew's really headstrong and, and, um, like he, he really does, um, I don't know, believe in himself and, um, sounds like you've influenced each other. And I've heard you talk about it before. You sort of went from a 1355, 5k guy and, and, um, it was almost through him telling you that you could do it, that, 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 that meant a lot to you. And then you started to believe it as well because someone else was, was saying it.
0: Yeah. That's exactly what I talked about at the beginning, you know, is like, if you have one other person that really believes in you. And is there to empower you, and then all of a sudden, their empowerment turns into self belief. Boom! There's your two people right there, and Drew is that second person for me, constantly giving me that positive affirmation that you can kick, you can run a mile, you can break four, you can run thirteen ten, you can break thirteen forty, you can break thirteen thirty, you can break thirteen twenty. What he's telling me now, you can run that Olympic standard. You know, like having someone like that in your corner and if you're listening to this maybe you could be that person for someone else on your team and that is something you're going to remember and that person's going to remember for the rest of their life more so than any time you're ever going to run is what you did for someone else in fostering their growth whether it's you as a coach or as a teammate it's something special that you can foster and for sure that back and forth bond is something i truly cherish and i hope that's something that people see within tin men is the way that we hug each other after workouts and fostering that love because that love at the end of the day is going to push you to the end of a race is when you're running for something bigger self nice
1: and um i've also like heard you talk about um yeah just oh well what are some techniques that you and tin man use to sort of handle stress and anxiety of racing and training um is there anything that you guys do to to i don't know keep everyone in the right headspace um during the ups and downs of training.
0: For sure, yeah. I mean a lot of it is just keeping it fun. Like if you're not enjoying the process, like if you go to workouts thinking if I don't crush this workout, I'm going to have a bad race. And you're you're just setting yourself up for failure, you know, which I feel like a lot of young runners do nowadays where they're like I need to hit these splits to show to prove to myself that I'm in shape, to prove to myself that I'm going to PR on Saturday so it's a lot of it is just fostering this like fun camaraderie on those days that could, could bring the stress yeah so on workout days it's like joking around having fun like even in the rep sometimes we'll like be like crack a joke or something you know is i like, keep it light you know in order for you to have that full energy when the time comes for you to really have to let it rip so fostering just like a fun atmosphere among the team i think is really important there's definitely times to be very serious and get it done and get the work done. But as long as there's a collective dedication, then that, that isn't something you should really worry about. In my opinion, if there's a dedication to running that rep at that pace, then who cares what's happening during it? Not that you're allowed to talk. You're allowed to have fun. You're allowed to say to a your teammate, you're doing, you know, we're fucking crushing, we're crushing this, you know, you're doing great, whatever, you know? So Keeping a positive, fun attitude towards a lot of it is a big part of it, you know, and just like realizing that this is the fun part, you know, like I feel like come race day, if you can't tell yourself this is the fun part, that's a problem. Because then why did you put in all that work? You put in all that work so that you can enjoy. It's like the philosophy that a lot of people have when it comes to work. It's like you work 50 hours a week so you can go on that vacation, right? Well, you just put in. 20 hours worth of running, you know, whatever, between core and sleep, whatever, running, you know, just time spent on your body to get to that point in the race. Like that's the vacation right there, baby. Like that's where you get to have fun. That's where you get to enjoy. That's where you get to like show people what you did all that work for. So having that sort of mentality that this is the fun part, I think is a huge part and like fostering that and believing it. And then the last part is definitely living with it yourself beforehand can combat so much of that stress and anxiety if you can go through the workout in your head the night before or whatever go through the race a hundred times beforehand if you've lived it a hundred times already you're not going to be anywhere near stressed out if you already know because you've played in your head a hundred different ways you've played out the worst ways where you trip and fall and you have bloody nose or whatever (laughs) you get dropped and then you have to keep working hard because you know you're still on pr pace Whatever those scenarios are, you have to play every single one of them out. If you play every single one of those scenarios out, what's there to be nervous for? You already know everything that might happen, and you know how to prepare for it, and you know what you're going to do in those moments of true struggle.
1: Nice. Uh, and t- <laughs> tell us about the enigma, Coach Tom Schwartz. Um, it's <laughs> like it. It sounds like um, yeah. He's he's taught the whole group a lot about training, and um, yeah. He, um, yeah, I, I love hearing um, some stories mm-hmm. because uh, when I hear the stories about, I'll oh, keep the ball rolling, it's probably a, it's a really good sort of holistic view of running where it's um, not about, you know, smashing that last rep and you're thinking about the bigger picture. Um, and I think mm-hmm. it's a great message for a lot of runners to keep hearing.
0: Yeah, for sure. Coach Schwartz uh, definitely has, as I've said before, he's read every single running training book there is and he's been able to adapt his training from there. Surprisingly, he's done so much of his training online that we are some of the first people he's ever actually coached like in person. So it's like a very interesting process to like watch him develop more and more also as a coach day in and day out and that's been a really exciting transition for him too is like in person to see this stuff. And I think that's the reason why he is such a special coach is because he spent so much time perfecting it online where he couldn't even see his athletes, <laughs> just seeing splits and stuff that he has this incredible, I mean, understanding of fitness because he spent so much time just doing it remotely that now that he's in person, when he sees us run and the way we're running and the way we fatigue, he has an incredible sense of you're going to run this time. and. There's countless stories among the team where it's kind of funny because, like, we joke about on the team whether, like, you're going to ask coach or not, like, what you're going to run. And he'll tell people sometimes offhandedly during a workout. So, like, if you finish your split and then someone else is doing a rep on the track, you know, there's been times he's come up to me and he's told me, like, Drew is in 1310 shape right now, you know, or he'll say, Reed Reed is going to break. 62 and a half marathon or something, you know, and then they go on and do it two weeks later or something. (laughs) And there's just there's a lot of those stories like that now that that have happened. So it's this very funny thing where it's like I am always the one like I don't want to I don't want to hear it like you know (laughs) last thing I want to hear is coach to like tell me I'm in this shape or I'm going to run that you know. I want to, I want him to tell me like he has done it a few times where he's written down, you know, once he realizes what type of fitness I'm in and he can tell this fitness not off of some ball or workout. You know, I say it all the time, like for sure, it, it would take people time to get used to like this, the hill sprints that we do at altitude and the lack of rest that we have with them. Uh, for sure. It would take people time, but, I think there's a lot of prep runners out there that could do a lot of the workouts, the majority of workouts with us and be fine. But the secret is the same way with a golfer, you know, is I remember this famous, I remember I read this book that was taught that from a pro golfer that said, he, he's, he said, anytime I go to a driving range, one guy there can hit the ball better than me. But the difference between me and him is I can hit that ball a little bit worse than him 99 out of hundred times that guy can hit the ball better than me one time, every a hundred time. So I think that's a, a different way to talk about. Keep the ball rolling is that we're running those good workouts 99 out of hundred times. I can count on two hands. How many bad workouts I've ever had under coach Schwartz because he doesn't allow them to happen. And I think that is a lot a big team secret of ours. Where the enigma comes from is that he doesn't let you have bad workouts because he knows what workouts to give at what intensity, and he doesn't let you push beyond that in order for you to have a bad workout. And bad workout, you might think like, oh, I got dropped or something, but you still ran the splits and it wasn't a bad workout. So that's a huge part of it is that always being under control and never dipping into those wells so that we can have everything after. For the race and after the race, so we can keep
1: that ball rolling. Yeah, nice. Um, it's been great following one of um, Australia's own um, Jordan Gu- Guzman. Guzman um, jumping in with you see. yeah the squad. Um, yeah, do you have any good stories about Jordan?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure. I have a ton of stories about Goosey. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite. One of one of my favorite stories about Goose is the first time I ever talked to him. I was on the phone with him and we were talking and he said, I basically got to the point where I was like, look, man, like I know who you are. I've seen you run before. Like I, Drew knows you, you've done workouts him before. And it's just kind of this mentality and it goes back to the grassroots of our team is there's not <laughs> like, there's not some brand. I mean, Adidas is supporting us now, which is amazing that they continue to let us have the creative freedom with everything is i basically told goose i was like look man if you're serious like come out to boulder you know like show me that you're all in and the only way you can show me that is by moving your ass to boulder and being all in and next thing i know he booked a flight and he was in boulder and after his 24 hours of travel coach had us do like a 2k time trial to do some vo2 testing and <laughs> he literally got off the flight slept for three four hours and then did this 2k time trial <laughs> and, hey, and i just like, couldn't believe this guy's charisma <laughs> to just put his head down and do it you know like any other rational person is like okay let me figure some shit out before i move to boulder and like do all this let alone jump in a time trial when you're in shit shape. But he got after it. Like, he went out crazy hard. like, And, and of course, he had no adjustment to altitude. Uh, and the attitude he had towards that just speaks volumes to who he is. And I, like, really cherish, cherish Goose very much. Uh, being my compadre now, where, like, we go to Europe together and race in Europe, we've definitely had a lot of experiences in hotel rooms and whatnot uh that'll that'll keep close and i know there's more coming but he's someone that is such a genuine pure uh heart like there's nothing impure about what he's trying to do or how he's trying to help people and he is in it for that bigger picture also goose is in it for helping you know the next generation the same way we all are here and that's why he was such a great fit and I'm so excited that his visa is working out now and he'll be able to move out to Boulder full-time and really get integrated with us because it's something that I think with him jumping back and forth and everything it's been very hard on his body so to be able to have a consistent program and a consistent schedule is going to do a lot of dividends for him and get his get his swagger back and everything I love yeah (laughs)
1: no that's been great to see his improvement Mm -hmm. um like that race that you and drew and he did where you you all ran low 1320 um that was amazing because uh, i'm pretty sure at the start of the season he was uh high 1350s um yeah to open up that season so it was it was a real eye-opener for for a lot of the fans back home um it was Mm -hmm. it was really cool to see
0: how much he improved yeah for sure that that race is so funny looking back on it because there was kind of this do it at all costs mentality going into it not in terms of training but that there was no other option for us in our heads than to do that and we just ran with each other and (laughs) i remember unfortunately like the camera max's camera died it was his first time ever filming anything ever uh he's like max is the kid who makes all our youtube videos and is our brand manager and helps us with all our product and everything. But his like camera died as we were like freaking out after the race. But I remember all of us just saying like, holy crap, we felt so bad. Like (laughs) how the heck did we just do that? Like we just gutted it out, you know? And I think it was the type of thing where our bonds together just grew so close close after that because we just kept throwing punches at each other like taking over the lead within us three and just battling through that race together and just having that mindset of like, Hey, if goose is still here, I'm still here. If true is still there, I can't give up either. And that was that beautiful team camaraderie that we had. And I know that we will do that again at like a bigger scale. And I just live, definitely live for another moment like that, that I know will be coming in the near future where, Deuce, Drew, and I will do something special together again. I know that. And we haven't been able to race all three of us in the same race since uh, we did a fifth, we did a mile after that race where we got to like beat up on all the Bowman guys. Uh, obviously, the Bowman guys had bigger things planned, but for us at the time, that was pretty nice to be able to beat the likes of Mohamed and Sean McGordy and all these amazing Lopez and all these great runners uh so that was a that was a special one so really hope we can start to chip away after their spectacular running this past six months
1: nice and um the group's grown a lot um who are you most excited about um uh yeah going forward
0: um yeah of um the group? Oh, that's that's a great question yeah. and uh i'm not saying this just because of the Aussie Connection, but Cam Griffith, uh, he runs for Australia also. And he, I think that what I've seen from him already, he's like, one. he was one of the only people to really be latched on Drew's shoulder during this whole summer. Like he was able to do almost every workout with Drew and I just was blown away with his range. And I think he is one of these talents where people forget that this kid was on the back of Justin Knight and Grant Fisher in the NCAA championships in the 3K, you know, like he was, he's right there. And I think he's still right there. He just hasn't had the opportunities to show it yet. And I think he's going to get the opportunities here with that. And I think he is in the same conversation as those type of runners where I know right now, the Melbourne track club guys have been absolutely lighting it up overseas, but I think that, and Ollie as well, like Australian distance running is in a very cool place right now with its depth that it's built. Uh, with these young runners and I think that Cam is very quickly going to throw himself in the conversation with the uh, Morgan McDonald, Stewies, Ollie Herreras of the world where right now he's in their shadows but I think very quickly he's going to be on their shoulder. Nice. So Cam is definitely one to look out for and I think if there's a dark horse for the Australian teams it's
1: him. Yeah cool that's um, awesome insight because um, yeah, I wouldn't have even heard of Cam um, uh, until sort of this year, I reckon. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, I, I think Cam's really excited to finally get to, like, spend time in Australia and race at those national championships and start to, like, build that sort of the same way that, you know, Jordan Gussman. Yep. Just to build that up within his own country.
1: Nice. Um, I've got one more, Sam, because I'm so, um, yeah... Grateful for the time that you've spent with us. Absolutely. Um,
0: uh, no, it's been fun to chat.
1: Yeah. Um, in terms of like, there's not heaps of groups, like you mentioned Melbourne Track Club before, but there's not many groups down in Australia like there is in America. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm slowly trying to form a smaller group and it's definitely not of the scale of you guys. Um, but w- what advice do you have to to running groups that are just forming? Um, like obviously you went through the process yourself where... Tin Man's just, um, yeah, really grown sure. and now it's got that global sort of, um, uh, yeah, recognition and, and a lot of people follow your group. Uh, what, what advice do you have, even from a business perspective or, um, sure. yeah, like for a group
0: that's just forming? Yeah, I appreciate you asking that. Uh, I think it's something that I truly have so much passion for is the business side of this sport uh, with marketing and everything that goes in behind it. It's something I love, admittingly. I wrote something about it recently in a Talk where I love the business side and growing the sport and making a hat or a shirt or something that is gonna, like any runner, uh, whether they're a young up and coming runner, anyone that could put on and feel some sort of empowerment with that is something that I get just as much feeling about. So I appreciate you asking about this because it is such a big part of who I am uh, and my identity and where I find my fulfillment and happiness. But the, the advice that I would give, and I see so many people, these these teams that, 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 that are starting up or trying to start up, um, do so poorly, is they, and it's the best advice I can give anyone, is spend time with the foundation. Because at the end of the day, your foundation is what you're gonna stand on. If you don't have a foundation to stand on, your team will not last, the name won't last, Um, you talk about Tim man elite having this legacy and this worldwide presence Tim men started in 2018 you know it is 2020 right now that is two years if if we can do it anybody can do it i truly believe that and it's a type of thing where for sure we had a lot of help with the star power of drew hunter and whatnot with our marketing but The reason we have been so successful is because we built such a strong foundation. We understood what our story, what our purpose, why we were doing this. You have to ask yourself why you're doing this, how you're gonna do it, what you're gonna do about it, day in and day out. And you need to live that with your marketing and you need to connect that, the two together. So whatever, and and you need to have a story with everything. I think that's something that is so overlooked is storytelling and that's at the heart of marketing is if you don't have a story behind your logo behind what it means if you don't have a story behind the place you train if you don't have the mantras if you don't have the things that are all connected in one and it's a shit ton of it's it's a shit ton of work it's a shit ton of brainstorming it it is a lot of time and effort and a lot of very authentic it has to come from the heart you know is a huge thing is if if it doesn't come from you and what you really want to do then people are not gonna gravitate towards it if it's something that's like yeah just built and it's a pretty slogan but you don't live it in how you go about racing and training and whatnot then people are not going to understand it so I think it's all about taking time with that foundation and figuring out your identity before just pushing something out there. I think that's kind of what I was getting at was like, I see people just push something out there to get something out there so often without building the foundation first. Reed, Drew and I trained together for almost, almost a full year before we launched the website, before we made a logo, before we talked about who we were or what we were or anything. We just trained really hard and spent a lot of time brainstorming and building before we launched anything. I think people are very eager to just make it, make an account, start trying to get followers and just go that route where the true route is if some, if someone clicks on something, you want them to like understand your ethos and your energy very quickly and I think that's what we've been able to do with Tin Men is people understand our positive energy. In that, if you see any of us at a race, you can come up to us and give us a hug and talk to us, and we're going to be there for that. And we're going to like give you that time of day uh, as we would with anyone. And that's the type of environment that we've tried to build. And it's like figuring out what your environment is and like who are the people you want to communicate to and why. So it's this. It really is just really digging deep inside yourself and what you want to do and having that translate into your marketing business of building building a team. And I think that's a huge part of it too, is like, it's probably my biggest pet peeve uh, is talking about groups. Uh, we're not a group, we're a team, you know? And I think that's, that's like a really important thing for like me from a marketing standpoint is having people understand that we're not just a group. We're not just a group of people that came together. We're not just a track club. We're not just a random collection of people that were brought together because some brand thought we all were fast and would do really good things for us. Uh, We're a team, and we're there for one another in and out of running. So build the foundation, and that foundation, you can build it up really high if you have that strong foundation to build on. That's the that's, that's advice I would
1: give anyone. Yeah, that's an unreal message. And I think that distinction between group and team is an important one. Um, I mean, what speaks volumes about like, how good your message is and um, like the same guy that asked me to ask about the 1527 guy um, uh, mm-hmm. from my group, um, he, got, he asked, oh, can you ask Sam if one day I could come over to train um, in Boulder? You know, just on a on a trip. And um I think for someone to ask that question and reach out like that, it shows that you're obviously having an impact. Um and Yeah, yeah that's so
0: cool. So, no, I love yeah. I love hearing that. And it's the type of thing where it is so hard to keep up with the bandwidth of it where, you know, like we hundred percent want to go on those runs with everyone, you know, like after a race, if I'm on my cooldown, any single kid at that meet can come with me on that cooldown. Um, you know. And it's just like picking those battles, you know, like yeah. obviously training camps get serious and whatnot, yeah. but no doubt. Uh, we get <laughs> messages all the time to run together. And unfortunately during this whole COVID thing, we were not able to do any sort of community runs or bring people together. Like there was so many people coming in here this summer and we really had to like shut down from meeting with other teams, whether it was the college kids that were here or anything, just because we had to stay safe. So yeah. hopefully when all this stuff gets figured out, we'll be able to, figure more things out and open up that thing. I mean, who else gets to play basketball with Kobe Bryant after a game, you know? Yeah. Nobody. Yeah. But we have that capability. So it's that sort of stuff that I think that the sport, um, that sort of connection, those sort of things, I know make a huge difference for the sport. And we want to keep busting down those walls and building those bridges. So that next generation, what's his name? Uh, Pete. Pete Dutton. Pete. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i'm looking forward to going on around my friend <laughs> hey, that you just made his day <laughs>
1: <laughs> Cheers, man. uh sam thanks so much i better let you go um it's been great chatting yeah. and so many guys in australia will find and girls will find um everything that we just chatted about um so yeah. cool and um that will be inspired for sure
0: absolutely it's the least i can do i appreciate you setting up this platform for me to speak on everything and uh I look forward to uh, meeting with you also one day.
1: Yeah, yeah. That'll be cool. Awesome, Sam.
0: Cheers, man. All the best.